All right, what up, Oasis? Let's go, let's go. We are in part four of our series, Dear Father. And I want to start tonight by asking a question maybe you heard this last week or saw, I guess, if you were on Instagram. It's the question, do you pray enough? And I ask that question, think about it for a second. Don't just write it off. It's not rhetorical. You don't have to say it out loud, but, but answer that question for yourself. Do you pray enough? When I asked it on Instagram this last week, we did a poll. We had a couple hundred people decide to respond, and here were the results. And this isn't shocking to me. I think this is exactly what I would have guessed when I first put this poll out, because I have never met anybody ever in the history of ever as a pastor, as a person, living all of my years here on earth. Can I stress this enough? I have never met anybody who prays too much. Nobody's ever had that kind of confidence to tell me that. If they do, there's a lot of pastoral counseling that we need to talk through there. But, but most people, they fall in these kind of categories. There's some of us here, 2%, that are really confident in how much you pray. That's great. If that's you, that is awesome. We would encourage you to keep going. Otherwise, there's about 9% of us who are kind of confident, somewhat confident, maybe a little confident that when it comes to praying enough, we think we're doing okay. That's good. Now for the rest of us. The 89% of us, 89%, almost every single person in this room, we still got some work to do. Oftentimes, I'd put myself in these bottom two categories. When it comes to prayer and figuring out how much prayer is enough, most of us think we can do better. It seems like a universal religious struggle. Most of us are trying to find the right quantity of prayer to sustain our spiritual lives. That as we walk with Jesus, and as we follow him, and as we live for his kingdom, we are trying to figure out how much prayer is enough. That I feel this burden on my soul, that as I live in a, in a world that is tough and difficult and I have needs and things, how much prayer is enough? And as we struggle with that question, we can turn to the Bible, but I want you to know, before I even open to the passage, I want you to know this is not a place in the Bible that's gonna boost your confidence. So regardless of where you are in this, this, this different poll, answering the question, how, how much is enough prayer? Here's what the Bible tells us. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, where Paul sets the standard of prayer and he uses this phrase. He says, pray without ceasing. When we're asking the question, how much prayer is enough? And we go through our scripture and we flip through the pages and we search for an answer to that question. Ultimately, I, th I believe we will find ourselves back at this verse in 1 Thessalonians where Paul sums up the Bible's position saying, pray without ceasing. All right, get that. In that, right, pray without ceasing. I want that to sit for a second. Do you understand what Paul is saying there when he says pray without ceasing? Paul in our holy word has set the benchmark for Christians of enough prayer. And he says, try unceasing prayer, never ending prayer, prayer without breaks, prayer without pauses, prayer without interruption, undistracted, never ending constant prayer, prayer that goes on and on and on and on and on. How much prayer is enough? That's what Paul has laid as our definition. And I think it helps a little bit to get back to what our original definition for prayer is in this series, right? Prayer is not just about dialogue. What Paul is talking about here is not just tossing up constant jibber-jabber between us and God. What Paul is talking about here is prayer is stepping in to the presence of God. And so when we understand that, what Paul is talking about is he's describing a life that is indwelled in God's presence, 
It's, 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 a, it's a period of life. It's, it's your life completely saturated by God's Holy Spirit. Does that describe you? Regardless of what you put on the poll, regardless of how you answered this question to start, when I clarify and I describe a life saturated by the presence of God where we don't go a single moment of any day without God's presence, does that describe you? I ask that because I want us to start from a place of honest recognition tonight. I want us to understand where we're at so that we can move to where we're meant to go. We're wrestling and walking through the question, how do we move towards a biblical standard of unceasing prayer? How do we achieve and get to the place where Paul has commanded us to go? And and I'm not blind to the fact that when we read 1 Thessalonians and we see this verse, what Paul's talking about here feels crazy. Anybody else feel that? It feels absolutely crazy that he would talk about a life that is so saturated in God's presence that there is not a minuscule of a moment where we are not connected to our Heavenly Father. That feels crazy, yet I think we need to think about it a little bit different. What Paul is describing here is our goal for prayer. It's what we're striving to achieve, what we're striving to reach. For many of us, I think the imagery of a mountain can be helpful. So if you'll put that first picture up. When we hear what Paul is talking about, some of us, we picture, and we, we, we maybe should, pray without ceasing as the summit of a mountain a goal to achieve, a place and a direction to head towards to. And as we do that, my prayer is we reach the top of the mountain. I don't know if you've ever climbed a mountain, but when you get up there, it's beautiful. Google a picture. And when you reach this, it's beautiful. Stay there. Continue to live a life of unceasing prayer. But as we've already talked about through the first little bit of tonight, very few of us are at that place. Most of us have not yet reached the summit of what Paul has called us to. Instead, some of us, we've come a long way. Go ahead and put that first one up. Yeah, we've, we've come a long way, right? We've grown in prayer. We've taken huge strides of what it means to live in, in, in relationship with God. And we can see the summit, but there's still work to do. Others of us were a little bit farther down. And, and we've started the journey. And we've begun to learn what it looks like to pray, to step into God's presence. We are moving in progress towards the goal Paul has set out for us. But yet we still have a long way to go. And finally, I would guess many of us are sitting at the bottom of the mountain looking up thinking, ain't no way. Ain't no way I can get from where I'm at to where I want to go. There is no way that from where I am right now as I walk into this room tonight, there's no way that I can get to where Paul is calling. Some of us, we think we just started this relationship with Jesus. We think I'm still figuring the Jesus thing out. Some of us, we think, I'm just bad at prayer. I don't understand prayer. I I don't think I can ever get there. I want to tell you, regardless of where you're at tonight, there is progress to be made. And as your Oasis family, it is our goal in this series to help you make progress towards unceasing prayer, towards what Paul has called us to. And to do that, we're going to learn from people who have gone before us in the scripture, prayer warriors who have reached the summit, people whose prayer lives are marked by such consistency that they actually live in Paul's command of praying without ceasing. If you have a Bible, feel free to jump to Daniel 6 tonight. It's where we're going to start, and we'll flip a couple places from there. But I, I love the story of Daniel 6. It's super awesome. And when you get there, we're going to be introduced to a, a new practice. But I don't mean new in the fact that it, it hasn't been around that long. I think it's going to be new for many of us tonight, but this practice is actually ancient, that you're going to see it pop up in Daniel, and then you're going to see it come up cyclically across the scriptures. 
And this practice, I believe, holds the key to unlocking unceasing prayer. It's a practice called a daily prayer rhythm where we pause three times a day, morning, midday, and evening, to pray. A daily prayer rhythm, three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. And in those moments, we stop, even just for a second, and we step into God's presence. We're going to see it first come up in Daniel 6. If someone has their Bible open, shout out that heading for me. Got some Bibles down here. What's, what's Daniel 6 heading? Daniel in the den of lions. Daniel in the lion's den. We heard this story before, some of us? Yeah? If you haven't, let me fill you in. Daniel gets thrown in a lion's den. Okay, I'm selling it a little bit short. It's, it's a little cooler than that. Daniel does get thrown in a lion's den, but the amazing part of the story is God's deliverance in the midst of it. That he gets thrown into this den of hang, uh, hungry lions, but he's untouched, unscathed, completely protected, and he comes out the other side. But the question that becomes really interesting, and it's one most of us skip over, even if you heard the nursery rhyme growing up, is why did Daniel get thrown in the lion's den? If you were trying to figure out and understand what could cause a punishment so great that he, he's risking his life for it, you'll find your answers in Daniel 6, verses 7 and 10. I'll read it to you. It says, the royal administrators, the prefects and the satraps, the advisors and the governors, they all got together and agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays, anyone who prays at all to any God or any human being during the next 30 days, except to the king, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. This is the law that they, they put into effect. In verse 10, it says, now Daniel, when he learned of the decree, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. In our famous story, Daniel and the lion's den, what gets Daniel thrown into the den with the hungry lions? It's his daily prayer rhythm. To fill you in a bit more, Daniel had these enemies, these people who didn't like him because Daniel was constantly succeeding. He was better than they were, and they were frustrated about it. And so they constantly, over and over and over, tried to throw him under the bus and get him in trouble. But they couldn't. Daniel was a man of impeccable character. He did everything right in the eyes of the Lord. And so they found, when they were looking at his life, there was only one thing that was going to work. They were going to have to come out of his relationship with God. They were going to have to attack the thing he held most dear. And so they go after his prayer because they noticed in Daniel's life, never did he skip a day where he didn't go three times every single day praying to his God. And Daniel's not the only one. If you flip over to Psalm 55, you'll see David had a daily prayer rhythm. David had this rhythm where three times every single day he prayed to God. Verse 16 and 17, he says, As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Morning, noon, and night, morning, noon, and night, morning, noon, and night, day after day after day, David and Daniel, they had this repetition and this practice that was core to how they walked with God. And it was a daily prayer rhythm. If you jump over to the New Testament, in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are examples of Jesus praying. Specifically, there are 17 different scenes in which we get to witness Jesus pray. And in some of those scenes, we can see based on the historical evidence that Jesus prayed a common morning, midday, and evening routine that the same things of the Old Testament, Jesus was practicing in his day. New Testament theologian Scott McKnight backs this idea by saying Jesus prayed within the sacred rhythms of Israel 
and he knew firsthand their formative influence. I've said it again and I'll say it before because it's one of the most key things to being a Christian. If Jesus did it, we must do it. If it's core to who Jesus is, it needs to be core to us as his Christians, as his followers, as the little Christ is what that word really means. If Jesus did it, we must do it. If Jesus prayed a daily prayer rhythm, we should pray a daily prayer rhythm. John Mark Comer, a pastor, says it like this. He says, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to see and experience what Jesus did in the gospels, if you want a life abundantly like Jesus had, if you want Jesus' peace and his joy and his, and his fulfillment, you have to live the life that Jesus did. And Jesus' earliest disciples did just that. In the book of Acts, the apostles continued praying just as Jesus had modeled. The New Testament church was one formed around these morning, midday, and evening gatherings. The Didache is the earliest historical document we have that covers the New Testament church that's a non-biblical document. So it's a document that you can actually Google and look up yourself and read through. It's an incredible piece of literature that we have from these earliest centuries. And in that, the Didache the, the describes the morning, midday, and evening prayers of the early church. And what's fascinating when it describes this, the, the, these practices is they don't describe it as this like, oh, good to do, optional, beneficial kind of practice. The Didache describes the daily prayer repetition of the early church as something that was expected of all Christians who followed Jesus. That to be a Christian was to pray morning, noon, and evening. From Daniel to, and David to Jesus and the apostles, the church has had a practice of a daily prayer rhythm. A daily rhythm where people stepped into God's presence in order to achieve what Paul commanded, pray without ceasing. Yet I understand that can be confusing. That if you're tracking, what I'm describing is three set times in a day where we pray. Right, in the morning I come to God and I step into his presence for two, five, ten minutes. And then that's a set of time. And then sometime later in the middle of the day for two, five, ten minutes I step into God's presence. And then at the end of the day, whether whatever you describe as evening, you step into God's presence in what feels paradoxical to what Paul is talking about is this divided, separated daily prayer rhythm. You catching that? That almost what we're, we're asking you to do is three times a day to set aside time to just pray to God. Yet what Paul seems to be asking is in every moment of every day, be in God's presence. Where do those two connect? It works right here. It says fixed prayer fuels spontaneous prayer. The fixed moments we have with God fuel our spontaneous relationship with God. Let me explain it like this. I have this terrible habit of checking Instagram right when I wake up in the morning. It's horrible. I know it's bad. Don't judge me. Don't shame me. I'm going to be honest here for the next couple of minutes. So I, I'm expecting kind, gracious responses, right? But I have this horrible, I, let, me, let me explain to you. I like rolling over and having the blue light like burn my eyes. I, I don't know why, but it's something about it just like helps me wake up in the morning. It's terrible, I told you. But I check Instagram almost every morning right when I wake up, right? And I do that and it's a bad way to start the day, but it's something I've developed. And so as I go about my day, there's about two other times in every single day where I almost always check Instagram. So I've got my morning and then lunch. I don't know what it is about eating lunch, but it just makes me feel in my soul like I need to scroll some Instagram, right? So morning I check it, lunch I check it, and then when I get home for the day, five or six o'clock, I almost always check Instagram. 
Three times every single day, you could call them fixed moments where I open my phone and scroll for just a little bit, not too long. I told you, don't touch me. But just a little bit, I scroll on Instagram. But on your iPhone, if you have an iPhone, if you don't have an iPhone, I don't know how you would possibly figure this out. But if you have an iPhone, there is a screen time thing, which half the time I think is of the devil, right? Because I'm sitting in Sunday morning church and it's like, this week you spent one billion hours on your phone. And I'm like, Lord, come on, man, right? But one of the things that the screen time app does is you can open it and see how many times each day you open a specific, specific app. Right, so I check Instagram three times every day at almost the exact same time. Yet this last week when I went open <clears throat> and I opened Instagram and I looked at how many times I check in a day and I told you, do not judge me, I'll get your screen times up on, on this screen. But I open Instagram on average about 20 times every day, okay? That's for me. I open it and not every time do I look at it for the same amount of time, but about 20 times every single day I open Instagram. And here's what this looks like. I'm walking down the hall and I'll just quick open it up, see if there's anything new, right? I'm standing in a line and I quick just open it up. I get bored, I open it up. <clears throat> really honest, I go to the bathroom, I sit there, I open it up, right? All these random moments throughout the day where I open Instagram and I just scroll, even if it's for a little bit of time. But why is that my habit? It's because the fixed moments of every day fuel the spontaneous moments of every day. The two are interwoven to, to fuel our daily habits. I actually tested this. I, I decided for a period of time to get rid of the three fixed moments every day that I check Instagram. I said, I'm not gonna do that. By the Spirit's power, I'm not living in that way anymore. And, and after a period of time, I went back and I checked. And you wanna know how Apple told me my Instagram opens and every day how the average dipped. I went from 20 times every single day to five times a 75% reduction because I removed the three pivotal moments of every day that I checked Instagram. The fixed fuels the spontaneous. And so I'm telling us tonight, when we look at the scriptures and we see this habit that the early church was a part of, we see this time where they locked in morning, midday, and evening. For however long that it took them, they got into the presence of God those three fixed times a day and the fixed fueled the spontaneous to where they could live a life of unceasing prayer. Fixed prayer becomes an anchor each day to draw you back to God's presence and to help you stay there. Earlier I told you there are 17 instances in the, in the gospels where you can see Jesus praying. And in those 17 instances, not every single one of them is a moment of fixed prayer. There's a lot of spontaneous prayer woven in and out of that. Tyler Stanton in his book writes, Jesus prayed both spontaneously and routinely, alone and with others, pray, praying out his emotions and his words guided by the Psalms and at fixed hours of prayer. Jesus had an unceasing prayer rhythm hinged on fixed moments. So with a little bit of time left, my goal is to help equip you to walk like Jesus walked that if we were going to embrace three fixed moments of prayer, here's what it could look like. I'll provide you with a couple helpful things and if they're helpful for you, run with them. Do them, embrace them. If they're not, find something else to do. But whatever you do, the important part is we actually start to pray morning, midday and evening like Jesus did. We'll start with the first morning prayer could utilize the Lord's prayer. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking just about the first stanza of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
We started praying that and talking about that, but the Lord's Prayer is this incredibly powerful prayer, and I would encourage you, use that in the morning. Utilize it right when you wake up in the day, because how you start anything matters. How you start matters deeply. Watch any race people might run. If someone starts poorly, there is a chance they can catch up. And when they do, it almost always is something incredible. It's amazing, right? To see someone start poorly yet catch up is an incredible feat. But the reason it's incredible is because it's really, really rare. What's normal is when someone starts poorly, they fall behind and very quickly greatness has eluded them. And so how we start each and every day matters. How we start each and every day with God matters. Because we aren't trying to stack mediocre after mediocre day in our relationship with God. We want great days with God where we're unceasingly in his presence. And when we're in his presence day after day, moment after moment, and we stack great days on top of each other, you know what that makes? It makes a great relationship with our heavenly father. And I hope that's what we're all after. Jesus did just that. In Mark 1, 35, we get an example. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, which always convicts me, because right now I'm like, man, if, when it's dark, I don't want to wake up. But here's Jesus getting up before it was even light out. And he gets up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus prayed in the mornings. Second, second, there is midday prayer, which could focus on the lost. Jesus often describes the people who don't know him as lost because they have not found their way to, to him, their savior. And I would encourage you to think for a second what the middle of your day typically looks like. Are you sitting in class somewhere? Hanging out in the union? At your desk at work? Driving somewhere to grab a quick bite? What does the middle of your day almost always look like? If you had to, to pick a moment, what does the middle of your day look like? Now imagine in the middle of that, you began to pray for the lost. In the midst of the ordinary, I'll encourage you, take a second to pray for something extraordinary. To pray for that coworker, that they would have hope in Jesus. To pray for that family member, that they would find eternal life in God's kingdom to pray for all people who don't know God, that they would come to know the joy and the peace that is offered to us Christians. Extraordinary prayers, not because of what we say or how we say them, because if those prayers get answered, there will be extraordinary results. People's entire lives and eternities could look different if we would just sneak a little moment in the middle of the day to go pray for those that don't know Jesus. Instead of getting sucked into the mundane and hustle of every day, Steal moments away to remember God's bigger plan and purpose. How might that change the way we pray? Finally, third, there is evening prayer, which could be about gratitude. How you finish most days matters too. That if you finish most days poorly, the chances you start the next day good are much slimmer. And so how you finish each day matters just as much. And if you're like me, I'm typically exhausted, crawling into bed, just dreading the alarm that's already gonna go off in the morning. And we have this habit, and I don't think we actually intentionally choose this, but it's just a, a habit we step into. Where we get to the end of the day and the only thing we can remember from the past day are all the frustrations we experienced. 
all the moments where we felt let down, where we messed up, where something didn't happen the way we wanted. We remember the person who hurt us and the unkind words that were said. We remember the failures, the embarrassing things. For some reason, those are what stick with us as we, as, as we end almost every day, the hard moments. But what if we changed that and we ended every single day in gratitude? Taking a moment before we shut our eyes to just ask God and thank God for what he has already given us. What would that do about changing the way we live life if we finished our days overwhelmed by God's goodness? And tonight I wanna give you just 30 seconds to reflect back over today. We're gonna practice this right now, it's evening. And so I want you, if you have a phone, if you've got a notebook, if you just wanna do it in your head, I want you to come up with three things today that you can be grateful for. And I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to write them down, to think them through and to thank God for them. Three things, what are you grateful for today? Thanking God is pleasing to him, informative for us. Gratitude changes who you are. Author Morris West claims there's a point in everyone's spiritual journey where they reach this point of maturity where all of their prayers can be summed up in just three phrases. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Where we get to this point where gratitude is so overwhelming to us as people that the only thing we can pour back to God because we love him is thank you, God. Tonight, we have talked very quickly about a daily prayer rhythm. Something I will encourage you, please try. If you were to embrace this, I think it could radically change the way that you follow Jesus. But you don't need to do it exactly like I do. Commit to a daily prayer rhythm, something where morning, midday, and evening, you step into God's presence. There's an app that they, they think they're gonna put the QR code up on the screen for. And this app helps you to pray through the daily prayer. It's called the Inner Room app. It was created by Tyler Stan, the author of the book. And in there, it is a guide every single day that you could walk through the daily prayer rhythm. That you could start every day praying and talking about like what we talked about. And if so, if this is a resource that's helpful for you, they're gonna leave that up there for a period of time. But if it's not, maybe it's just reminders in your phone. Maybe it's sticky notes on your mirror. Maybe it's a post-it in your car. Maybe it's a text that you send a friend. Maybe you commit together with someone sitting next to you saying, hey, we're gonna do this. We are going to step into God's presence in, 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 a, in a routine way that transforms who we are in Jesus. Regardless, I, I just hope you try it. That's my prayer. That's my ask tonight. That this week, try praying in this way and see how God responds.